It seems to me that in a sermon series called Turning Points, it is hard to imagine one bigger, more important in our lives than coming to God, coming to faith. But what exactly does that mean, coming to God, and how does it happen? Some of you know that I came to faith as a freshman in college when this young woman who was in all of my classes befriended me and talked to me about God and spiritual things. And it was quite the contrast with the people before that who had pretty much accosted me, warning about burning in hell. Well, somehow her sharing took and I became a person of faith. And about a year after that, I felt a call to ministry, and then shortly after that, I was offered an internship at one of the large churches in the suburbs of Houston, Texas. It just so happens that the senior minister at that church believed in buttonholing people in the name of God, although that was not what he called. He called it evangelism, but it felt like buttonholing to me or accosting people. Every once in a while, the interns, along with some other folks, would meet on a weeknight and go out in pairs for a couple of hours and go door to door sharing faith with perfect strangers. It is hard for me to describe how much interest I had in that, as in like zero. But you can only fake a sore throat for so long, right? So I had to go, and I was with my partner, and we would come to a door, and I never rang the doorbell because people might hear that. Instead, <laughs> I just sort of knocked very lightly. Oh, I guess they're not home. We'll just keep going. And I kept looking at my watch. Oh, surely it's time to head back to the church by now. It was painful. In the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus does not go door to door, but he does approach people cold turkey. Fishermen, they're on the shore. He comes out of nowhere and out of the blue says, come and follow me, and they do. In the Gospel of John, it's different. He, he does do that, but in this passage, it's totally different. He sees Andrew and his companion following, and he says, What are you looking for? Which is a brilliant question, but on more levels than we might at first realize. That's because in the Gospel of John, communication, religious communication, is really tricky. In the Gospel of John, the way, here's the way I would understand it. Jesus talks, and we'll just say it's right here, and the people talk back, except it's right here. And there's just like these two ships passing in the night. They don't get it. A, a page or two later after this, Jesus finds this woman who's not Jewish, who would have, because of that, been considered an outsider. Except that's the reason he sought her out is because he wants to tell her there's no such thing as being an outsider. So it's, a, it's at a well and it's noon and Jesus is hot and tired and he says to her, can I have a drink? And she gives him a drink and the conversation unfolds and then here it is, he says, you know, if you asked, I could give you living water. You'd never be thirsty again. And she says, you don't have a bucket. I mean, is that great? They just don't communicate. He's talking about living water, spiritual searching and seeking, and she's talking about H2O. And that's what's going on here in this passage, although the English doesn't make it as clear. Yeah, he says, what are you looking for? But the verb is really a verb of religious seeking and searching. What is it you're seeking and searching for in your life? And they say, where are you staying? 
which is in another one of those things as well. In the Gospel of John, people don't quite catch on. And if religious communication is that hard, how do people ever come to God? How does that happen? Probably the most thorough exploration of that ever given was by William James. He's the brother of the well-known writer Henry James. In 1902, he published a book called Varieties of Religious Experience. You can look at it. It's online, PDF. A year prior, he gave some lectures in the University of Edinburgh to mostly psychologists, psychiatrists, helping professions who at the time were categorizing religious belief as kind of fanatical and maybe even a brain disorder. And he assured them that is not the case. Well, maybe in some cases, but it's not given that a religious a response is, is something wrong with the person. And then he went on, and this is what's famous in his book, is he categorized all the different ways he could that people come to God. Some of them, ordinary folks, you know, carpenters, plumbers, home moms at home, whatever it was. And then some of them more famous, like St. Augustine, who wasn't a saint to begin with, quite the opposite. Now, he had this kind of attraction to this one preacher named Ambrose, and so he was kind of being drawn to it. But then something happened, which is always the language of religion. Something happened. He was outside, and he heard some kids playing a game. And then one of them said, take and read, take and read, take and read. And he thought, I've never heard of a kid's game where you say take and read. It, it must be the voice of God. And so he picked up the Bible, and he turned to the book of Romans, and he read one verse, and bam, he was Christian. <laughs> and, and James just explores all these different ways. I just started this week a memoir by Sarah Hurwitz, who was speechwriter for Obama, President Obama, briefly, but more so for Michelle Obama. And she says that she grew up Jewish, but what she calls pediatric Judaism. I love that phrase. It was just the Judaism of your childhood. She said it was kind of like, you know, Christians that go to church Christmas and Easter. They went on two high holy days, and Hanukkah was about presents anyway. So she just had this kind of childhood Judaism, never really took so naturally it faded away. But then something happened. 36 years old, her boyfriend breaks up with her. She's totally depressed, she's bored, and she stumbles upon a brochure, an introduction to Judaism. Eh, okay. She goes, and for some reason it takes. What had never taken root takes. So for a long time now, theologians have debated this idea of how do people come to God? And some are in this camp called conversionists, where you get born again at a moment in time. It happens at a moment in time. It's kind of the Billy Graham approach. You're not a Christian, pray this prayer. Now you're a Christian. And other theologians have said, you know, maybe that happens, but weren't there always some moments that led up to that moment? In other words, maybe coming to God is a process that happens over a long time. Here's one thing they almost all agree on. People come to God because someone made a personal contact. Somebody influenced them. And it made a difference. So I've been wondering and thinking like this. If one of the key turning points in our lives is coming to faith, coming to God, wouldn't 
inviting others to come and becoming an inviter be a personal turning point as well. Now, I don't for a minute mean that you should go door to door. If you do, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a sore throat. I won't be able to go. But what if you became a person who invited? People do this all the time. They say, oh, have you seen that, that thing at the Nelson? You've got to go check that out before it's gone. Or here's a movie. Oh, I just read the most amazing book. We will tell people about barbecue brisket. But we get a little nervous telling people about God. Why would we not want to do that? Well, I can think of a lot of good excuses besides a sore throat. Like, for instance, someone might say, you know, for me, when I hear that, it sounds like I'm going to be one of those slick salespersons trying to close the deal on a timeshare. And I just don't want to be like that. Or someone else might say, yeah, it, it sounds good, but I don't know any Bible. This is where I find another Greek writer besides the writer of the gospel to be so helpful. Aristotle. He, he called them the three artistic proofs. He named them logos and pathos and athos. And, and here's how it breaks down. Logos would be if you're an expert. You use logic and rationality and you, and you argue and you, you help people. You you appeal to the brain. Pathos is more storytelling and playing on the emotion. And the fact is, some people are more convinced by argument and others by their heart being tugged, but it's the third category that I find so helpful. Athos could probably best be translated as authenticity. What if you were to just be you and invite people to come and check out the church? You know, there's all kinds of Christianities out there, but tell them about this one and invite them. Jesus says, what are you looking for? You could use that line. And when they say, well, what's your church like? Ah, come and see, check it out. You, you never know the impact you could have on a person's life. Terry was the name of that young woman who befriended me. And talked to me about God and invited me to church. And I don't know who was more surprised, me or her, when I showed up. And in a few Sundays, I just started my journey of being a person of faith. And of course, because she'd had such an impact, we felt very close to each other. And over the years, you know, we would call or whatever and just stay in touch. And then we lost touch. And I couldn't track her down because this was pre-internet days. And eventually, eventually, I found somebody who knew somebody who had her phone number. And I called her up. It had been a long time. And we caught up on family and stuff. And I wanted to thank her and tell her that I'd gone into ministry and was teaching at the seminary. And I mostly just wanted to thank her for the impact on my life. But I had this one question that I'd always wondered about. I said, Terry... Were you always so daring and bold as to talk to people about God? And she laughed. She said, are you kidding? I'm shy. And then what she said next just blew me away. And it still does. She said, you were the only one I ever shared with. You were the only one. 